section thirty five of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain mr bret hart's miggles and mr t b aldrich's marjorie daw so far in these explorations of anglo-saxon fiction we have come upon only three american novelists apparently whose heroines may match with those of the english novelists such a fact may be accounted for upon a theory wounding to our patriotism if we like the pain or it may be more gratifyingly explained upon the ground that during the past century the english novelists have probably outnumbered ours quite in the proportion of their representation here besides the heroine is a flower of slow growth which thrives best in a temperate air and a soil mellowed by long cultivation our heroines compared with the english are wilding offshoots of a sylvan sweetness and grace and a fresh loveliness at their best and at their second best such as actual women are much too good for men no doubt but not such as are easily gathered in this sort of florist's window they are scattered widely in a thousand short stories all over the north east south and west and the research that would give a just notion of their quantitative fascination would form a complete study of that branch of our fiction One the difficulty of presenting the short story heroine will be realized by the faithful reader of miss sarah o jewett's exquisite tales and sketches to name a single and supreme example in the case of the more objective heroines of such a writer as bret harte one recalls out of the whole number of his more conventionalized types his miggles who belongs rather with the edifying magdalens of the mining communities than with the sinuous and ophidian group of his politer ladies too recognizably descended from the heroines of charles reeve neither sort forms the fort of a writer who stamped his peculiar literary personality upon the fancy of his generation so vigorously and who still keeps so large a public faithful to him he is at his strongest with his men and of his two kinds of women his miggle seems at least in this retrospect his prime invention it will be remembered by my elder readers at least how the storm-bound passengers of yuba bill's mountain stage take refuge in her wayside cabin during her absence and before her return have a dull quarter of an hour there in the company of the speechless paralytic to whom miggles is dedicating the afternoon of her life because he has helped her pass the forenoon more gaily if not so exemplarily and has as she says in her brief explanation spent a heap of money on her bill had scarcely ceased growling before we heard a quick step upon the porch 
the trailing of a wet skirt the door was flung open and with a flash of white teeth a sparkle of dark eyes and an utter absence of ceremony or diffidence a young woman entered shut the door and panting leaned back against it oh if you please i'm miggles and this was miggles this bright-eyed full-throated young woman whose wet gown of coarse blue stuff could not hide the beauty of the feminine curves to which it clung from the chestnut crown of whose head topped by a man's oil-skin sou'wester to the little feet and ankles hidden somewhere in the recesses of her boy's brogans all was grace this was miggles laughing at us too in the most airy frank off-hand manner imaginable you see boys said she quite out of breath and holding one little hand against her side quite unheeding the speechless discomfiture of our party or the complete demoralization of yuba bill whose features had relaxed into an expression of gratuitous and imbecile cheerfulness you see boys i was more'n two miles away when you passed down the road i thought you might pull up here and so i ran the whole way knowing nobody was home but jim and and i'm out of breath and that lets me out and here miggles caught her dripping oilskin hat from her head with a mischievous swirl that scattered a shower of raindrops over us attempted to put back her hair dropped two hairpins in the attempt laughed and sat down beside yuba bill with her hands crossed lightly on her lap the judge recovered himself first and essayed an extravagant compliment i'll trouble you for that hairpin said miggles gravely half a dozen hands were eagerly stretched forward the missing hairpin was restored to its fair owner and miggles crossing the room looked keenly in the face of the invalid the solemn eyes looked back at hers with an expression we had never seen before life and intelligence seemed to struggle back into the rugged face miggles laughed again it was a singularly eloquent laugh and turned her black eyes and white teeth once more towards us this inflicted person is hesitated the judge jim said miggles your father no brother no husband miggles darted a quick half defiant glance at the two lady passengers who i had noticed did not participate in the general masculine admiration of miggles and said gravely no it's jim there was an awkward pause the lady passengers moved closer to each other the washoe husband looked abstractedly at the fire and the tall man apparently turned his eyes inward for self-support at this emergency but miggles's laugh which was very infectious broke the silence come she said briskly you must be hungry who'll bear a hand to help me get tea the literary epoch of miggles is early traceable in certain little touches she is of that romanticistic generation which mr hart himself has never outlived and which we would hardly have him outlive in her time good criminals abounded and ladies with pasts were of a present behaviour so self-devoted that they could often put their unerring sisters to the blush 
they are rarer now and even on the stage their histories seem rather more to characterize them but one likes to believe that there are miggleses in the world and life is often so illogical that it is not impossible it is a case which we have to suppose but we cannot complain of the terms in which mr hart asks us to suppose it they are amusing and they are touching and according to the simple ethics of the period they are even improving when it comes time for miggles's involuntary and unexpected guests to seek such rest as they may find under her roof she shows the ladies into the one other room which imaginably their propriety makes too hot for their hostess at any rate she soon reappears in the midst of an animated debate concerning her history among the men but not apparently the same miggles who a few hours before had flashed upon us her eyes were downcast and as she hesitated for a moment on the threshold with a blanket on her arm she seemed to have left behind her the frank fearlessness which had charmed us a moment before coming into the room she drew a low stool beside the paralytic's chair sat down drew the blanket over her shoulders and saying if it's all the same to you boys as we're rather crowded i'll stop here to-night took the invalid's withered hand in her own and turned her eyes upon the dying fire an instinctive feeling that this was only premonitory to more confidential relations and perhaps some shame at our previous curiosity kept us silent the rain still beat upon the roof wandering gusts of wind stirred the embers into momentary brightness until in a lull of the elements miggles suddenly lifted up her head and throwing her hair over her shoulder turned her face upon the group and asked is there any of you that knows me there was no reply think again i lived at marysville in fifty three everybody knew me there and everybody had the right to know me i kept the polka saloon until i came to live with jim that's six years ago perhaps i've changed some the absence of recognition may have disconcerted her she turned her head to the fire again and it was some seconds before she again spoke and then more rapidly well you see i thought some of you must have known me there's no great harm done anyway what i was going to say was this jim here she took his hand in both of hers as she spoke used to know me if you didn't and spent a heap of money upon me i reckon he spent all he had and one day it's six years ago this winter jim came into my back room sat down on my sofa like as you see him in that chair and never moved again without help he was struck all of a heap and never seemed to know what ailed him the doctors came and said as how it was caused all along of his way of life for jim was mighty free and wild-like and that he would never get better and couldn't last long anyway they advised me to send him to frisco to the hospital for he was no good to any one and would be a baby all his life perhaps it was something in jim's eye perhaps it was that i never had a baby but i said no i was rich then for i was popular with everybody gentlemen like yourself sir came to see me and i sold up my business and bought this year place because it was sort of out of the way of travel you see and i brought my baby here 
with a woman's intuitive tact and poetry she had as she spoke slowly shifted her position so as to bring the mute figure of the ruined man between her and her audience hiding in the shadow behind it as if she offered it as a tacit apology for her actions hidden in the darkness but still holding his hand she went on the folks about here are very kind said miggles after a pause coming a little into the light again the men from the fork used to hang around here until they found they wasn't wanted and the women are kind and don't call and jim here said miggles with her old laugh again and coming quite out into the firelight jim why boys you would admire to see how much he knows for a man like him sometimes i bring him flowers and he looks at em just as natural as if he knew em and times when we're sitting alone i read him those things on the wall why lord said miggles with her frank laugh i've read him that whole side of the house this winter there never was such a man for reading as jim why asked the judge do you not marry this man to whom you have devoted your youthful life well you see said miggles it would be playing it rather low down on jim to take advantage of his being so helpless and then too if we were man and wife now we'd both know that i was bound to do what i do now of my own accord but you are young yet and attractive it's getting late said miggles gravely and you'd better all turn in good-night boys and throwing the blanket over her head miggles laid herself down beside jim's chair her head pillowed on the low stool that held his feet and spoke no more the fire slowly faded from the hearth we each sought our blankets in silence and presently there was no sound in the long room but the pattering of the rain upon the roof and the heavy breathing of the sleepers two of course in a certain way no heroine has ever been the whole entrancing race exists only by an agreement between author and reader and if the personality imagined is pleasing the author may make his own terms with the reader but he had better not push the reader too far the reader's credulity is great but it is possible to exhaust it and for that reason many heroines of the past who were impossibly or exorbitantly conditioned have ceased to be they were of a fashion or of a mood of feeling and the fashion or the mood has changed once we accepted such heroines as miggles because they were the fashion but now we can accept them no longer because they are not the fashion the great matter for the author who will have his heroine last in the reader's fancy is to condition her so that to any mood she shall be easily imaginable and one has not to recur to some outworn humour in order to imagine her then he may tell us what he will of her he may say not only that she no longer lives but that she never lived still we rehabilitate her and she lives on mr t b aldrich went to this length in the case of his marjorie daw she so far as i know is the only heroine in the whole range of fiction who perishes under the hand of her creator yet she does not pass but continues vividly present in the reader's consciousness the first effect of the brilliant sketch in which she has her being is that of irreparable loss but this is not the last effect one has a personal grief in learning that marjorie daw never existed save in the fancy of the fancied narrator 
she does not survive in that tacit make-believe of author and reader which is the convention of fiction she is destroyed yet she persists and haunts the memory with an immortal loveliness sometimes in the morning and oftener in the afternoon when the sun has withdrawn from that part of the mansion a young woman appears on the piazza with some penelope web of embroidery in her hand or a book there is a hammock over there of pineapple fibre it looks from here a hammock is very becoming when one is eighteen and has golden hair and dark eyes and an emerald-coloured illusion dress looped up after the fashion of a dresden china shepherdess and is chasse like a belle of the time of louis quatorze all this splendour goes into that hammock and sways there like a pond lily in the golden afternoon the girl is invented it will be remembered out of the air to amuse the intolerable leisure of a young fellow laid up with a broken leg and the friend who invents her becomes gradually so interested in her characterization and the sick man's infatuation with her that he constructs a personality quite as appreciable to the reader she swings in the hammock and reads she plays croquet she listens sympathetically to her friend's accounts of the invalid she surprises herself in a dawning passion for the sufferer and then she is locked up by her irascible old father it is at this point that john fleming having impatiently reduced the correspondence with edward delaney from letters to telegrams bursts all restraints and flies to the supposed habitat of the heroine to find that there is no such heroine no such house and no such hammock as edward delaney's two creative powers have invented it is a bewitching little romance almost of the miniature dimensions of a conceit but it is as filling to the reader as most long novels and is of an abiding flavour piquant beyond that of any but a very few in fact marjorie daw who by the remorseful confession of her supposed inventor has never lived has outlived myriads of heroines whose reality has never been impeached by their authors End of section thirty five